0: Welcome to another episode of Our Interesting Times. It's my pleasure to have Dr. E. Michael Jones back on the show. Uh, Dr. Jones, how are you doing? Just great. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, that's right. Uh, the plague. The plague is on, upon us. Um, of course, we're going to talk about your article that, uh, in the March um, Culture Wars, uh, Black Frankenstein Turns on His Jewish Creators. Uh, but before that, I wanted to get your thoughts. I think you want to talk a little bit about this uh, uh, Covid or CRV, uh, ID nineteen a coronavirus outbreak uh, that uh, s- seems to be engulfing the entire world, but you you think it's a cover for something else?
1: At this point, it's just uh, something that is deliberately deceptive. There are schools of thought that I value here, uh, both of them are saying that it's a bio bio weapon, a biological warfare weapon. Uh, France. Winnipeg and got in because he wouldn't give his was saying it's a bioweapon that was deliberately unleashed on, unleashed on China uh, and and that made that 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 uh, institution in Wuhan uh, is not a bioweapons we- bio lab it's just a kind of hospital mm-hmm. or research center so. I don't where are we supposed to go with this, okay? Where are we supposed to go with this? If you take something like uh, the East Germany, uh, they had a secret police operation there called the Stasi or the Staatssicherheitsapparatus or something like that. And uh, the only way we could understand what was going on there was after the regime fell. Because at that point, the, uh, the government opened the archives. This is now the German government. The, and they opened the archives. And now you could do research and you could come up with something. But as long as that regime was in power, you could never find out what was going on. Because it was all secret. Well, I suspect that something similar is happening here. So what can we base? Uh, we're in the middle of something. And you never know what's going on when you're in the middle of something. But it's nothing comes from nothing so something has to come from something and so what is this like now do you remember aids mm-hmm. are you too young <laughs> to remember aids do nope. you remember the hysteria that swept through this country i certainly AIDS? do i
0: came of age in the 80s so i was you know in the middle of it
1: yeah yeah well i remember it and uh uh i remember uh this is going to be the end of homosexuality well that didn't turn out that way and then uh i ended up going to africa and i talked about african aids Uh, and that was i believe it was in 2002 or three or something like that so i gave a speech gave a bunch of speeches in nairobi saying that african aids was fiction and that I was perfectly qualified to talk about it because I have a PhD in fiction. <laughs> I uh, did my dissertation on Nathaniel Hawthorne, so I'm the guy who is most qualified to do it. So everyone was shocked at that point—shocked, stunned. Uh, I spoke in hospitals, spoke in universities. Everybody was stunned at what I had to say. And then just a year ago, I was back in Nairobi. And not only was I back in Nairobi, I was back in the same room in the Catholic University of Eastern Africa where I talked 15 years ago. <laughs> and I said, when I, you know the room's full of people, I said, "How many people are worried about dying of AIDS?" <laughs> well, no one raised his hand. You know, and so we go back, and then you start to think, "Let's what do we know about AIDS?" And then I've, I've told the story in another piece I wrote about. Uh, Actually, it's on the Cincinnati Ballet, how Meyer Lansky took over the Cincinnati Ballet. That's right. Matilda Krim's operation, right? Matilda Krim, yes. Yeah. Matilda Krim <laughs> received the Congressional Medal of Honor, I think, for sleeping with Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> and of course, she deserved it for doing that. Uh, but the, the real, <laughs> her real, real job at that point, this is after she comes from and marries the Hollywood movie mogul who then built his house right next to Linda's ranch so that his wife could sleep with him. Uh, Her job was to keep him preoccupied as the Israelis attacked the USS Liberty and then to basically call back the planes that were going to defend uh, the U.S. Liberty from the continued Israeli attack. Okay, that's how she got her start in this business. And then suddenly she's the AIDS czarina, And as the AIDS czarina, she swoops in and steals a million dollars from the estate of Robert Mapplethorpe, who said specifically he didn't want any of his money to go to, to AIDS research. And then she used that in her position to fast track AZT, which then went on to kill more homosexuals than AIDS, whatever AIDS is. So I think we need to keep this stuff in mind what, it, 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 to get in perspective on the on the current crisis. Because there are people who have said that uh, never let a crisis go to waste. And uh, I have the feeling that lots of things are going on here. First of all, it looks as if we have a stock market crash going on here. Mm-hmm. Did did the, uh, did the uh, coronavirus cause the stock market crash? Or is the coronavirus lockdown being used to camouflage the stock market crisis that mm-hmm. was going to happen anyway everything was, was overvalued had to happen so let's make it happen and then we can short it and make a ton of money and then they'll do quantitative easy yes. and we'll make out like bandits anyway justify uh, another bailout yeah yes which was in the process of doing this now but look at the right the government has now abolished usury <laughs> the tri- t-, t bills are now paying zero percent. That's the end of usury. So every cloud has a silver lining, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, you know. So so how do how do you how do you deal with it? Hello. Yes,
0: I oh, can okay. hear you. Okay okay, okay. 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 I'm sorry. I'm just trying to improve my connection. So go ahead.
1: So, um. So how do we deal with what's going on? I think we need to look at the, uh, the sort of epistemology of what's going on. So let me let me ask you a question. Do you believe that there is such a thing as woman as women? Yes. Yes, I do, too. OK, it's a it's a category, I think, that corresponds to a reality out there. Okay, half the population of the world, women; the other half are men. Okay, pretty clear, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you believe in women, then you must believe in women's rights, right?
0: <laughs> well, not, okay, well, d- depends what
1: your definition of that is. Everybody. Oh, now you're getting uh, you're getting soft on me here. Wait a minute. <laughs> yes or no, buddy? Do you believe that there's things such as things as rights? And do you believe that women should have them? Yes or no?
0: Well, I guess, broadly speaking, yes.
1: Okay, good. So, therefore, you're for abortion, right? Oh, well. Oh, what do you mean? Now, now, wait a minute. This is logically (laughs) inevitable. You have have to go to, you have to draw my conclusion here. Because you admitted, didn't you, that there are such things as women, right? That's Mm -hmm. a fact, right? So, do you see what's going on here? What, how do we know that it's a fact? Well, we have something called science, which tells us what the facts are. And science is the possessor of ultimate reality. And you can't argue with ultimate reality. You can't argue with science, can you? Uh, unless you want to be really weird and no one will pay any attention to you. <laughs> But the question is, well what do you what, does, what is science saying here? Well, it's going from a statement of fact to a meaning. and you're not supposed to notice that there's a transition because the meaning is being imposed on this fact from without. So you have a category of a, of the mind being imposed on reality here. Well, that's what's happening here. That's what happens with every single one of these crises. Have you ever seen a coronavirus? You don't know what I know we've got pictures of them. every time you click on Google you see a picture of one well, but not. you've ever seen one yeah,
0: I've seen and a now, cartoon
1: yeah oh, and now and now I'm I'm starting to realize I think uh, I think I talked to a guy who had it. Now this is a man I'm not going to say who his name is, but he's he's from Boston. He had direct contact with people who had been at the Biogen conference in Boston. And the Biogen conference is one of the main vectors of this disease, whatever yeah. it is. And he got it, I think he got it. I mean, it sounds, the symptoms, he, he came down with this about two days, two to three days after the Biogen conference Uh, at which 70 people tested positive, I believe, Mm -hmm. for the coronavirus. So he had a really bad uh, sore throat. He was coughing a lot. He had a, a high fever. He just was miserable. And then after about three days, it broke. And then three days, he recovered. And now he seems to have recovered. Well, maybe, is that what it is? How do we know? Because someone is going to have to come in and identify this. And I don't think anybody's in a position to do it because you can't get tested. There aren't enough tests. I don't know whether you could test it or not. So basically, some uh, reality is being harnessed to an agenda. I think that's that's what's going on here. The question is, who's going to be able to harness it? And what is the agenda going to be? The agenda invariably seems to be more control on the part of the oligarchs, less freedom on the part of everyone else.
0: Yeah. Uh, medical martial law, the, the pretext for all these crackdowns are, are within medical martial law. I mean, everyone's considered a patient, like everyone's considered a terrorist under the war on terrorism. Or, I mean, a suspect. And so yeah. You can't, you know, so the burden, the proof is on you, and they can claim all types of excuses to, uh, well, uh, to uh, restrict First Amendment, like right to assembly. Uh, in our parish has suspended uh, church services.
1: for the- Yeah. Uh, we live in a diocese where they have not suspended church services. I think it's outrageous mm-hmm. that the Catholic Church would suspend church services. Aren't you supposed to pray in moments like this? Pray more. I think than, it's a, it, I, I consider it a betrayal. So. Yeah, I I, I would I would too. We are, the the bishop here uh, uh, said that uh, dispensed you from your obligation to go to mass, but the masses are still being held. Mm-hmm. So that I think was the right decision. I applaud him for making the right decision. I think that what you're saying here in Chicago, Detroit, New York, and I guess, where, where are you, in Virginia, Virginia whatever it is, yeah. uh, that the state has the ultimate reality, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. They determine ultimate reality and the church goes along with it. Church does not, church once had ultimate reality, now it no longer has that. Instead, the ultimate reality is medicine as they define it
0: it's azt the, it's antiviral drugs that kill you it's uh
1: yeah i mean what toxic about far, uh, that, was, that was medicine wasn't it and it killed everybody mm-hmm. it was completely toxic yet because of because of the efforts of matilda crim uh, it was termed medicine and she killed more homosexuals than anybody in the united states history and was given the medal of honor for doing it by bill clinton
0: And the uh, the trick, but the HIV uh, hypothesis or theory, is that if it is just this uh, uh, you know mysterious rogue virus, that there's no moral lesson. Whereas if it is a culmination or a a result of repetitive you know sexual degenerate behavior, there's a moral lesson there to be taught. And so the the psychological warfare angle is that in, in although AIDS was an indictment of the sexual of the homosexual lifestyle. It was used to promote it because kids, right. kids needed uh, graphic sexual sex ed classes.
1: That's right. That's Defect- right. And so they had to commandeer the crisis and turn it upside down in in, in more ways than one. Turn it upside down by g- getting the medicine out that was going to kill people and then turning it upside down in terms of the obvious moral of this story, which is basically that this is a lifestyle disease. This is how Peter Duisburg got in trouble back then. He was an epidemiologist from uh, Berkeley. A renowned one, by the way. Renowned epidemiologist. And he said, if you look at the curve, there's a standard curve for epidemics. And it's it's not quite the bell shape. It's more like a volcano or just like there's a sharp upward trajectory. It peaks and then it comes down just as sharply, which means that everybody's going to die, is going to die within this short period of time. And then we go back to normal. If you look at AIDS, you find it's exactly parallel to lung cancer in the 1950s, which was a a poisoning curve. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's a 45-degree angle going straight up and continues to go straight up because what you're doing is uh, nicotine, uh, uh, this bad habit of smoking cigarettes took off in World War II. That generation came back, and they just smoked a lot of cigarettes and the more cigarettes they smoked the sicker they got and they started you know dying so it was a poisoning
0: smoke them if it got them the tobacco industry gave them free in their in their ration package during the war (laughs)
1: right so they got them addicted during the war and then they come back and then they pay for it
0: and it's in all the movies so promoted
1: yeah and so therefore uh so what you had with uh aids was basically a a poisoning curve and the poisoning was basically based on the homosexual lifestyle. If you act the way these people do, you are going to get uh, one disease after another. And then if you're used to getting these venereal diseases, the answer is antibiotics. And you take indiscriminate and oftentimes prophylactic use of antibiotics and your immune system breaks down and that's what they called AIDS. And they tried to attach it to a virus because that absolves anyone from changing his behavior which is precisely what the government were the oligarchs at least were interested in doing at that time mm-hmm. and that's why Mapplethorpe was important because up until the time of Mapplethorpe homosexuals were creepy guys who would pick you up late at night when you were hitchhiking uh, and he what he did is create the image of the heroic homosexual and he was, uh, rewarded for that. And that was basically his role in life. And he died doing what he loved and died of uh, AZT poisoning because he believed everything the medical profession told him. He was a rebel and everything else, but he was completely docile when it came to the medical profession and the AZT killed him. So I think we should keep all this in mind in evaluating this, this uh, epidemic, even if it is Uh, a natural phenomenon, uh, it will be put to use because the government never let the oligarchs never let a crisis go to waste. So how can we use this crisis? How can we use it to our advantage? Because we now can step in and nobody's allowed to tell us no. You know, because we have this mandate, scientific uh, crisis mandate, Like 9-11, similar, except that wasn't that wasn't a disease. But I mean, basically, uh, no one can say no. You can do whatever you want. You can push through the Patriot Act, which does all kinds of outrageous things. You can basically shut down the investigation in New York City, which is what they did. You can ship all the beams off to China and not look too closely at how they seem to have been cut at the bottom, you know, because they've all been melted down in China and it's over now. And it can affect a narrative that is imposed on everyone in the same way that I talked to you at the beginning of this interview about, oh, you believe there's such a thing as women? Well, then you must be pro-abortion, right? No, no. That's the sleight of hand that's going on here.
0: I know it's talking about other other causes of, of pneumonia or, or respiratory distress, like a aviral m- m- pneumonia, there's the air quality issue in China itself, which I think you – know, they had protests last year in Wuhan regarding the, the air quality. And to get Chinese to protest, it takes a lot. Yeah. And so this is a pretext for the government to crack down and maybe, well, let's blame a virus. And then uh, it kind of takes off, and now we're hearing cases all over the world. But the only problem is any given day, any given month of the year, you're going to have so many people dying of respiratory illnesses, particularly in retirement homes. You know, and we're not given any uh, case history of, the, of these victims, or you know what type of health problems they had going into this, and this this might be the final thing. But like I said, in you know, and like the, the pneumonia itself doesn't necessarily caused by a virus. It can be caused by a, a multiple of things. One thing is this toxic poisoning and the chemicals that modern life sort of douses humanity in any way. And China's a good example of that because they've rapidly industrialized out any concern for the environment or the people that work there.
1: That's right. That's why everything got outsourced there.
0: Mm-hmm. No, no worry about environmental controls at all. The same way in Africa where, you know, you had AIDS, where everything was written off as AIDS. Uh, you know, if there's a disease, there was AIDS. But, you know, when you're in a country like Haiti or Africa where they dump things and give an example of how that works is, you know, Larry Summers, which you've written about, He when he worked for the World Bank, he wrote a, a, a memo at the World Bank saying was Africa was a good dumping ground because people already have short, short lifespans there. Yeah. Thanks, Larry. So this is the, the moral, you know, uh, uh, attitude or outlook that these, that these people for have. The, um,
1: the, the immoral outlook. Yeah, yeah.
0: And But nevertheless, we're being told by Anthony Fauci that, to hunker down.
1: <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Tony. Who is this guy? Why is it that whenever these people fail at what they're supposed to do, they then have added authority and money to tell us that we have to do something, that it's our fault that you failed. That's I mean, the lesson of nine eleven
0: and the stock market crash in twenty nine, isn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nine, 9-11, wait a minute, you guys failed colossally, we have the biggest intelligence operation in the world and you allowed the three guys with box cutters to steal three airplanes and destroy the, the t- twin towers, it seems to me you should all be fired, why wasn't the entire CIA fired at that point Oh, mm-hmm. uh, instead we had to give them more money to fight terrorism but again, what's terrorism, what is that that's a category of the mind mm-hmm. that has uh, no relationship to reality or remember we were told about the caves in afghanistan hmm?
0: the caves in afghanistan the network of
1: yeah the caves i remember that osama bin laden was in one of them except when we found out he wasn't in one of those caves <laughs> but that became the justification for the invasion of afghanistan and that went really well didn't it
0: what i mean do you take the world health organization or the cdc do you give them any credibility
1: Now, who am I to deny the credibility of these august organizations?
0: <laughs> didn't you see Contagion, the movie? How good they were! I mean,
1: how the, attractive the, the, they were! <laughs> didn't didn't we didn't we uh, just have an instance of this where some lady, uh, the vaccine lady, she was just uh, approved the vaccines when she's head of the FDA, and lo and behold, she's now working for the company that made the vaccines.
0: That was Merck and Gerberding, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, this is called conflict of interest, and it erodes the credibility of groups like the FDA, doesn't it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I, I read it that does.
0: the CDC actually is listed on Dun and Bradstreet and is a for-profit operation. I didn't know that. So, because they they more or less what they they buy about four billion dollars a year worth of of, of 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 vaccines and drugs from the from big pharma, and they're also they're the ones that are in charge of. of seeing that they get approved, that they're safe. That there's a built-in conflict of interest. It's basically, it's a self-licking ice cream cone. You know, that's why you yeah. have, you know, the, and you remember it was uh, during the swine flu outbreak. They called it an outbreak. It ended up being a dud, but that that was the op. The, of course, the fear were being prepped for all this, but it turned out that many officials that worked at WHO and CDC were being paid by um, Roche and the uh, other pharmaceutical company. Uh, what's his name? The British one, GlaxoSmithKline, yeah, to uh, issue the alert, just so that they would force member governments of the European Union to buy a bunch of drugs that they aren't vaccines. Buy the that, vaccine. Buy the vaccine. Yeah, and,
1: there was there was just an article in the Jerusalem Post. There's an Israeli company called Gilgal, and guess what they have?
0: They have a vaccine. Are they ready to go?
1: They, they have the antidote for coronavirus. <laughs> And one of the guys, this is the funniest line in the whole article, and the guy says, "As luck would have it. We' <laughs> really just working on this. <laughs> as luck would have it. As luck would have it. <laughs> and then there's the guy in uh, the, uh, the Jewish professor at Harvard, Mr. Professor Lieber, mm-hmm. who just did you know this story?
0: He was the one that supposedly was working with the Chinese. uh, Yeah, he's working with the Chinese. He's
1: getting $50,000 a month under the table Mm -hmm. from the Chinese government. And he has Chinese students. It turns out the Chinese students are all uh, officers in the Chinese military. And one of them gets on a plane and his socks are full of vials of biological material, whatever that is. So you can't take –
0: like. A baby formula and toothpaste on a plane, but <laughs> they, at least they caught him. So give them credit.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's give them credit okay. for they did arrest this guy. They did arrest him. And yeah. it turns out, guess where? Guess where his connections in China were? They were in Wuhan. Mm-hmm. And this guy, I suppose, was taking this back to Wuhan. So I don't. I mean, how how are we supposed to put these pieces together as it's happening? Yes. That's that's the problem. And
0: hold hold our our, hold the officials that supposedly represent us accountable in any way without any reliable information. You know,
1: yeah, I'm sure 20 years from now, we'll have a clear picture of what happened. But by then, everyone will be dead here. Uh, Probably a lot of people, including the perpetrators of this whole thing. And how are you supposed to run a how are you supposed to be an informed voter when everything is covert warfare run by your own government against Mm -hmm. you? How are you supposed to do that? You can't, you know. Can't, yeah, I think we're outgunned
0: here. Here, I mean, I, I, think you can just throw your toss, you know, throw your hands up and go, not give him any credibility. That's my position, and I'm just, well, looking,
1: you know. See, that's the problem here. Now we've had a, a complete lack of trust. Yeah, and and just the most recent example is four years of the mass media saying the president is a jerk. And four years of the president saying that everything the mass media produces is fake news. Yes. Well, what's the net result of that? Well, you don't trust anybody. Yes. Who could say something now? You know, who would it be? I can't, th- if it's not the president, if his word isn't to be taken as law in some sense or other, well, who's that? The media destroyed this. The media basically destroyed the best propaganda machine in human history. And now you have nothing but skepticism.
0: Well, the funny thing is Donald Trump's initial reaction was somewhat reasonable. He said he was talking to Dr. Fauci and he said, Dr. Fauci informed me. I asked him, I see the numbers and every year anywhere between 29 and 70,000 Americans die of the flu. And I'm seeing numbers here, you know, in a couple hundred uh, where's the crisis? And everyone kind of laughed at Donald Trump for asking that question, and no one answered it. And right. Was, no, one's, no, one, no one is, and a lot of people are asking this question, but no, one's, no one in power or in the major media or in a position of authority is addressing that question. And there's no count. I mean, there's, there's, there's complete uniformity, whether it's throughout the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, businesses, no one's saying, wait a second, is this called for? I'm, I'm, all I'm seeing are people on YouTube asking these questions.
1: That's right. That's it. That's the only people, lunatics like me on YouTube Mm -hmm. and you, you know, and we're we're the only people who are asking the questions and they're trying to shut us down now, too. As a matter of fact, they did shut down all the Chinese apps that that they're claiming that this is a biological warfare attack. Mm -hmm. They told the uh, government, the soldiers, uh, military to turn off their act, TikTok or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. uh, because they don't want them listening to those stories because they start might start believing them at some point.
0: And in a broad sense, the you know, the entire modern industrial world is a victim of chemical and biological warfare, meaning uh, what they do with, whether it's the toxic vaccines that they impose on infants, like HB, Hep B vaccine on infants. These are the same people who think that, you know, infant babies should get Hep B shots, um, or just the uh, the environment. And there's the issue of electromagnetic radiation and coupled with the smog, and the big problem here is a lot of people are looking for one cause. But there's a lot of the diseases that we see in the modern world, whether it's inflammatory disease or neurological problems or even respiratory, these are these are syndromes, a product of things. And often there isn't just one cause. So you don't have to go chase one cause. But this virus narrative does create the one cause. And it also creates the pretext for you know force jabbing everybody, creating a, you know, another fake elixir or something, selling more snake oil
1: uh, yeah. with these vaccines. yeah. Now and, that's- that's where the crisis is going to happen if they start mandatory testing and mandatory vaccines. Mm-hmm. That's when there will be blood in the street. I I can see that happening.
0: But what gets me is the people are self how forgetful people are just recent history of all these other duds, these fake uh, epidemics and the scandals that arose from them, like whether it's the vaccination scandals and WHO and their connection to big pharma, uh you know the um idea the, the the whole thing about uh uh you know SARS and, and, and you know 800 deaths I was <laughs> like that's unfortunately it was 800 but it's not a global pandemic and apparently wow. a lot of these states in order to get the pandemic status a lot of like African states have one have one coronavirus case <laughs> so it's like it's a, a statistical game just to so they can declare a pandemic
1: Yeah, one of of my friends just got back from Nairobi. She went to a conference there. And no one's panicking in Nairobi. Nobody's even talking about it.
0: Well, I heard South South Korea, who was closer to it. They were closer to it. And they've emerged from it without any real strict measures or quarantines, from what I understand. I can stand corrected. But they're reporting a mortality rate of 0.6%, which is high. But it's well within the variable we see, like in a bad flu
1: season. Right. You know, and well, again, my my, you know. my my philosophy professor was living in Munich, and he died two years ago of the flu. Mm-hmm. No, one there was no pandemic at that point, but it was just one of those things where, uh, when you're in your 80s and you get the flu, it can be fatal.
0: Yeah, I was read this, uh, this headline that there's a couple deaths in Australia, and I read down, and it's a 90 year old and an 88 year old in a in a retirement home. Okay, yeah. Uh that's sad, but. Uh, two months ago, I wouldn't have heard about this. No,
1: you know, the first the first death in New York was an eighty one year old woman with uh, previous respiratory problems.
0: Yes, and this is what you'd ex- you expect to see in any flu season. These are the vulnerable, but it's the not. The average
1: ex- age of the of the deaths in Italy is eighty one.
0: <laughs> laughing at that, I am laughing at the. This is an excuse to to quarantine an entire region or shut down an economy, which will kill, you know, call, you know. Ten thousand, thousands more. You know, if not yeah. more, if you shut down the economy. And like I said, this is. It looks like it's a cover for what's happening in the stock market. You've had what's happening. In the, it's, it's interesting that this coincides with what's going in the oil market. You know, with Russia, you know, not going along right. with the price with the uh, right. production cuts, uh,
1: destroying our fracking industry. Yes. by uh, pumping oils. Oh, Saudi and uh, Russia. An oil war is going on. Plus. It looks as if the uh, there's an uprising in Iraq that's driving the American troops out. Mm-hmm. And this uh, is this is a good distraction, isn't it? Well, it's it's taken over everyone's conscience. Look, yes. why, why are we talking about this? Well, because uh, as much as I-, I came on here to talk about, <laughs> how- I know. <laughs> Well, Frankenstein, and here we're proving them right, they have completely disrupted our normal conversation. Here,
0: I'm worried about the ultimate reality and Logos, but then again, I'm looking at the store and there's no toilet paper. (laughs) That's right, that's what they want because they don't want people. And another thing is that this the, the, the relation between disease and fear and anxiety, how it weakens us and makes us more susceptible to the microbes that are out there anyway. So they're going to kill more people just by doing that, by upsetting people.
1: That's right, because it weakens And we're everybody. in the midst of a, a whole wave of uh, HBO, Amazon Prime, Holocaust fear movies. Yes. Now uh, that actually, I'm let the cat out of the bag. The next issue of Culture Wars is a big story on Hunters. Oh Did yes. Talk yeah. about <laughs> that when it comes when it comes out. You yes. know, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> and now
0: everyone, since they can't go to work, they're binge watching as long as That's electricity right. stays on.
1: This is going to be the perfect storm for the release of Logos Rising. <laughs> it comes out, It's coming. I couldn't have planned. This is this is God's hand in human history. You know, uh, I couldn't have planned it better. Because, when we, we we start shipping books in about two weeks, everyone will be in quarantine. Everyone <laughs> will be so sick they'll be climbing the walls. And here's the here's the answer to your quarantine experience: by Logos Rising. Are
0: you disinfecting each copy? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, this could be, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hegel's idea, right? Of
1: the uh, list of Vernunft.
0: Yes. Uh, of, uh, yeah, well, now everyone's going to have more time to read,
1: hopefully. <laughs> that's right, because you can't do anything else. No gatherings, no, I mean, complete social isolation. They're calling it social distancing. Yeah, that's
0: become a mean or an idea, strategy, which is, oh, so you want to atomize society further.
1: That's right. <laughs> Wait a minute, we're already atomized. Yeah, I know. And you're going to make it more like one of the things uh, I have, you know, after Mass on Saturday morning, I get together with a bunch of guys at a Mexican restaurant, and we have breakfast, and they just shut the restaurant down. Yeah. So now we can't talk to each other. And what
0: are those people going to
1: do who work there? Who I know. Like, what are they going? How are they going to earn their money? These are not well-to-do people here. They're kind of hanging on week to week. Mm-hmm. You know, including the guy who runs the restaurant.
0: And there's no evidence. This again, there's nothing to suggest that that type of gap. I mean. Unless they're keeping something from us, it means they have no credibility to begin with anyway. They're not telling us the truth, but there's, I'm just not seeing anything. It was in New York, they issued, they, Governor Cuomo, they started doing uh, drive-through testing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for what I understand, the PCR test, which has its problems, uh, they've never tested the PCR test for reliability or accuracy, um, is you have to be really delicate with it you know cuz you can really taint you can taint the results for, for rather easily yeah. so where's the chain of custody or like how do you control for these things you know how reliable are those tests and
1: and it's look what, these the we, every, day, every saturday it's the same group of people they don't go anywhere they're all stuck in south bend like the rest of us mm-hmm. there's a there's a uh, <laughs> I have a waitress you know every every week it's the same thing lo mismo the usual (laughs) okay so there's a guy who comes in this is a true story guy comes in uh, and she's not there and so the waitress says what do you want and he says the usual and the waitress says well I'm new here I don't know what the usual is and the guy says I don't either (laughs) (laughs) So they had to call the waitress up in the hospital to find out what the usual was. <laughs> you know, this is a type of a, 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 a kind of enclosed community. It's not like O'Hare Airport here. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the same group of people. But then now we can't do that. We got to interfere with and uh, make this mandatory crisis impose it on everyone, where it's really not going to have one bit of difference one way or the other. If if I'm not contracting it at mass. Why am I going to contract it at the restaurant? Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing,
0: you know. And again, it's again, it gets this fear of the you know of the germ itself, and really, uh, it was, I think it was Louis Pasteur on his deathbed who said that it, uh, he was wrong. The terrain is everything, meaning that basically your general health will protect you from these things. And of course, they don't want to address that because there's no money in that. They want drugs and constant heroic yeah. intervention and. These things and telling people how to eat right and be fit, well, and, and, and live a moral, healthy life. Well, then there's no social control there. There's a lot less, at least. And they don't want to do that.
1: No, the Rockefellers got into involved in health early on, mm-hmm. early on in the 20th century. And they discovered that sharecroppers in the South had pellagra. Mm-hmm. So what was the solution? Well, what was the problem? The problem is you had to plant tobacco up to the cabin door on that plot in order to make enough money to pay off your debts with the furnishing agent. So it's usury, it's uh, low prices and so on and so forth. So what's the Rockefeller solution to pellagra vitamin B pills. Mm -hmm. In other words, another product (laughs) that you can sell to these people who the main reason they've got this problem is because of lack of money to begin with. You know, if they had a decent, if they had a decent diet, they wouldn't be in this predicament to begin with. So now you're burdening with more expense because someone now is making money off of this.
0: Yes. Yeah. And the the real history of the 20th century, the, the gains made in public health and life expectancy were largely a product of uh, better diet and better hygiene and, uh, you know, uh, public sanitation and not medical
1: intervention, you know. Yeah, my my aunt, my Irish aunt, and my grandmother, Irish grandmother, both died of tuberculosis during the Depression. What's the cure for tuberculosis? Well it's, it's decent nutrition. Decent nutrition and cl- and cleaner air. Yeah, cleaner air. Yeah. Right. So so there was no cure for tuberculosis. It's just that uh, prosperity is the cure for tuberculosis, and nobody dies of it anymore unless you're in Africa because it's a poverty disease
0: mm-hmm. and that's true, like throughout yeah the, these diseases that ravage the third world underdeveloped. world. you've made that observation in Africa, where it's, you know just a little bit of development, you could clear clean the water for a fraction of the cost that they spend in dispensing condoms or uh, drugs, you know pharmaceuticals and stuff but right they don't want to do that yet,
1: yeah, yeah. And so, what is the? As I I I wrote the article uh, after I came back from uh, Nai- Nairobi. Uh, what is the main cause of poverty in East Africa?
0: No, it's uh, no development.
1: What is the main cause of the lack of development in East Africa? There's a one word. It's the Swahili word is matumba.
0: Oh, the cl- yeah, the rags that come in from the Use west. Use
1: clothing. Yeah, yeah. Used clothing, the entire uh, East Africa awoke to this fact a few years back, and every country passed tariffs to protect the economy, the local economy, and create a situation where the people in Kenya could get back to planting cotton, and they could go back to processing cotton, and that would be the beginning of wealth accumulation. And guess what happened Okay, the Jewish rag pickers in New Jersey went to their man, Mr. Mnuchin, who's head of the Treasury office, and he threatened them with sanctions. And and all the African countries but Rwanda, they all buckled under that threat. And so we're now back to Mutumba. Wherever you look, wherever you go in East Africa, you see Mutumba. The market is the marketplace in uh, Kakamega, uh, and the town we went to after that, which was even worse. Anyway, it's just a just basically it's covered with used clothing, mm-hmm. and so you tell you go up to a, a Kenyan and you say, uh, "What's this with all this matumba?" And he says, "Well, the people." buy Matumba because they don't have any money. And I said, no, the people don't have any money because they buy Matumba. You got it backwards, completely backwards. And so what you have is the United States deliberately thwarting the development of the economy in the interest of the Jewish rag pickers in New Jersey. That is known as imperialism.
0: Yeah, and this uh, uh, crackdown or, or during this uh, outbreak, or supposed outbreak, is a lot of small businesses, the ones that still exist are gonna be really hurt by it and many of them go under and the only ones who remain are gonna be the Walmart and the and the Walmarts
1: and the targets, the big corporations. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or I mean this is the restaurant where we go is a locally owned restaurant. Mm-hmm. I mean look, this was the classic entry into the economy for immigrant groups. What do you think most of the Italians did? You know, or a lot of the Italians, they had restaurants. Mm-hmm. And now you don't see many Italian restaurants because, well, you know they don't need them anymore. But you have Olive Garden uh, instead, and what you have are all of these chains basically destroying that entry level mm-hmm. into the economy for uh, immigrant groups, lower income people who want to be somewhat independent. All destroyed by the big food chains. Who have I mean, access to they have access?
0: To arti- they have access to art- artificially cheap credit. And capital,
1: Right. And yeah. and economies of scale that allow them to buy up food. There's a, a movie out called Food, uh, Food Incorporated, I believe. Food Inc., yeah. Food Inc., and basically there's a Mexican family saying that we can't buy that. We can't cook our own food. We can't afford to cook our own food because it's cheaper to go to Taco Bell. Yeah. Or McDonald's because of the economies of scale that they have.
0: And then the people eat that food, the fast food, and they become progressively sicker and weaker. And then they have to go to the pharmaceutical industry. That's
1: pharmaceutical right. Pharmaceutical
0: companies for treatment. for
1: yeah, Diabetes, so every, inflammatory everybody disorder. Everybody makes out, except yeah. the people who are the guinea pigs in the social experiment. And they, mm-hmm. they all die of diseases that could have been avoided if they were allowed to make, cook their own food.
0: Yeah. Cause they'd be just overall healthier. They could That's right. cope with these things. Well, uh, your article. Let's uh, talk a little about your article. We have some time left. Um, Black Frankenstein turns on as Jewish creators. So you have a lot of groups of blacks that are assaulting these Orthodox Jews in New York, and of course the cry is anti-Semitism. But you see it a little bit more. You see it differently.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, what we have is a counter paradigm here. This paradigm does not work. Okay, because we all know that the main course source of anti-Semitism is white racism. Well, it turns out that all the perpetrators are black. Well, where's the white racism go? So you you basically destroyed your own paradigm by doing that. And the bigger paradigm here, behind all this, was the Black Jewish Alliance, which was a force in the 20th century. Where basically, beginning with the lynching of Leo Frank. You had groups like the NAACP was created in response to the lynching of Leo Frank, and it's purports to be an anti a a, a pro black group. It's called the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. We don't call them colored people anymore, but uh, uh, that's what it was there to do. Right. And uh, who can argue with that? Uh, Well, one of the guys who argued with it was. um, The black man from. Jamaica, Marcus Garvey, who was proposing a different paradigm. This paradigm was black nationalism. Everybody else had their own ethnic group and they had their own nationalist group. And so why can't black people have it? And the main opponent to this idea of black nationalism was the Jews. They don't like nationalism unless it's Jewish nationalism. And then it's called Zionism. And then they have their own country. And that's okay. That's different. Uh, But anyone else that tries to do this is a bad person. Uh, And white nationalism, of course, it's ipso facto bad. As soon as you say the word white, it's bad. We know that. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out black nationalism is bad, too. Any nationalism is bad because it makes Jews feel uncomfortable. And so what the NAACP was, was basically an anti-black nationalist organization. Uh, They had to get a black front man, and that was W.E.B. Du Bois or Du Bois. And he was a Harvard grad and he had all the credentials and he was basically the only black guy in the entire organization. Marcus Garvey showed up at NAACP headquarters and he walked around and didn't see one black person. This is in the 1920s. All he saw were Jewish lawyers. And it turns out it was created by Jewish lawyers. The Spingarn brothers created it. And one was a lawyer and uh, uh, the the wife of uh, one of the Spingarns uh, was a big promoter of black poetry. And so her uh, protege was Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston and all these people. The Harlem Renaissance was pretty much created by Jews to create a paradigm for the black. Cause this is what we're talking about. The, 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 the overarching theme here is a category of the mind. Okay. We know there are people out there who have dark skin. Okay. And we call them blacks, but that's a fact of nature. Uh, but it has to mean something in order to have some type of value. And this is where, the uh, people come in who control the meanings. And in this case, it was the Jews who basically controlled the press in New York City. They controlled Broadway and so on and so forth. And so they created a paradigm. What does the Negro mean? Well, he's uh, sexually liberated. And you have uh, books by Carl Fanfecton, who was a white boy who wrote a book called Nigger Heaven. We don't say that word anymore. I once wrote, a. I was once was going to do a book on blacks and I was going to call it nigger hell. Uh, because that is the direct quote from Claude McKay's book, Home to Harlem. Uh, and obviously, I think he was had Carl Van Vector in mind, but the publisher didn't like it. So I had to change it. So I changed it to nigger heck instead. <laughs> but anyway, so you had this this uh, this guy, the, the, Claude McKay was a, a, a black black. Uh, also from Jamaica, Jamaicans had big influence on New York and American blacks at this point in time. And uh, he understood what was going on, and he wrote home to Harlem, home from Harlem. And he, he, he in, in many ways, he couldn't resist it. You know, he he, he got promoted uh, because the the Negro was a paradigm of sexual liberation. He knew it, and he succumbed to it. And ended up going up over to Russia during the Russian Revolution. Mm -hmm. He celebrated as the great liberated Negro and so on and so forth. Ended up contracting syphilis and didn't have a good end to it. He eventually converted to Catholicism, died in the Catholic Church. But what you see during this period of time is the creation of a paradigm that we're going to impose on this group of people. And the real paradigm was it was sexual revolutionary, but it was revolutionary. The Jews wanted to turn blacks into revolutionaries and they succeeded to a large extent. And the culmination of this was the Civil Rights Movement, which was in many ways a revolutionary movement. Certainly, if you lived in the South, it was a revolutionary movement. But it all collapsed, all came to the end when Harold Cruz, 1967 was the year when the the Black Jewish Alliance broke down. Uh, because Harold Cruz wrote a book called The Crisis of the Negro Intellectual, which basically explained how when he was a communist in the party in Harlem, the Jews just used them as proxy warriors for their benefit, and the blacks got nothing in response. And at that point, they got sick of it. So along the way, you had things like the Harlem Riot of 1937, which was basically a black Jewish riot. And and so that didn't people didn't like that at all. One of the people didn't like it was Fiorella LaGuardia, who was a Jew, even though he had an Italian name. And uh, he did everything with his power to change that into a black white conflict, which is the paradigm that the oligarchs love to this day, to this day. So you have the same thing, uh, people that get along, you know, places like South Bend, black people, white people, they get along with each other. Uh, they tend to, you know, they, they're Christians, different denominations, but Christians, and they get along and they see eye to eye. So you need to stir people up. And so what you have is George Soros funding Black Lives Matter to regenerate racial conflict. And then you have, on the other side of the coin, you have Richard Spencer taking the white boys to Charlottesville and leading them, handing out spears and telling the white boys to charge the machine gun nest, which was manned by a Jewish lawyer by the name of Roberta Kaplan. So you put all these things together and what you realize is that there's conflict here because in a place like Brooklyn, you have Jews where the Jews are the landlords and the blacks are the people that rent. And the Jews are constantly forcing black people out of their homes because they want yuppies in because they have more disposable income. And this generates animosity. And so you have black atta- blacks attacking Jews. You know, a lot of it happening uh, December and into early part of this year. And nobody, this is not supposed to happen. Nobody's allowed to. Talk about it because it contradicts the main paradigm, uh, uh, which is one of the main paradigms of this country, is racial conflict. The oligarchs love racial conflict. And if it turns out it's black and Jew, that's the wrong, it's not black and white, it's not racial, it's something else, and so you have have problems.
0: Yeah, because these two groups are the designated victim groups in American culture, society, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so they got them fighting each other. And that, how are we going to deal with that? No. How is Bill de Blasio going to solve this problem? <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> how are you going to do it? Well, you're not. You're absolutely not going to do it. You know, who you, whose side are you going to take? The blacks or the Jews? <laughs> oh, no, you don't want to put, touch that one with a 10-foot pole. Bring in the white guys. Where are the white guys when we need them? Well, they're not there.
0: Which you cite in your articles, a lot of the problems, particularly the uh, the riots, Bensonhurst riots in the early '90s, the ADL sort of precipitated that for the just yeah. for, the, for the I guess for the for the optics that it created.
1: Yeah, yeah, the ADL uh, uh, doesn't like the orthodox, and so they basically told the police to stay out of. What something uh, 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 a disturbance that could have been solved within a matter of hours. They told the police to stop, to stay out because they they wanted they wanted conflict. They wanted to manipulate this conflict for their benefit, and they it it allows you to talk about anti-Semitism. And as we all know, there is no cause to anti-Semitism. It just is. Many people George Will said that if George Will said it, it must be true, Mm -hmm. right? He did say that. It doesn't, there's no cause, it just is. Well, it turns out if you look at Brooklyn, no, there is a cause. And the main cause of anti-Semitism is Jewish behavior. And the blacks know that. So there are all kinds of YouTube videos now of blacks saying they did this and they do that. And they they behave uh, like a law unto themselves. And that's what caused the riot. Basically, a guy driving crazily in Brooklyn where you can't, you know, and he killed a a black kid and the cops let him uh, escape from the scene. And the blacks were outraged, and that led to the riot. And now we have the same, nothing has been resolved. He ran off to Israel, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So nothing's been resolved, and so you have the same problem. And then once again, this attempt to sweep it under the rug once again. Same thing happening over and over and over again. Because no one, because the paradigm that they are trying to impose on this reality does not fit. It doesn't fit.
0: But at this time, you also have the strange uh, development called Catholic Zionism, as opposed to, I guess, the more generalized Christian Zionism
1: developing now. That's, this is all a fiction. This is This is an article in First Things. This is created by Jewish foundation money. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist, cannot exist. We have a long... Bobson Jenis did a long article in the same issue mm-hmm. explaining why it, it cannot possibly exist. Zionism is always a function of these fundamentalist sects of the sort that we have in Indiana, Christian Zionism. It doesn't exist in Catholic circles because the Catholics have a better understanding of the church as the new Israel. Uh, so it's not going to work. Uh, uh, but that doesn't mean there's not some. Jewish organization out there that's willing to give First Things money so that they promote this type of crap, and that's debunked as well in the same the March issue of Culture Wars, which also has the Black Frankenstein article.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess it was uh, Singer is also funding
1: this through the uh, foundation. Yeah, it's Paul Singer money. the The world's number one vulture capitalist is funneling money to First Things to promote articles like this preposterous Catholic Zionism article. Yes, it's the best journalism money can buy. And the editor,
0: or at least the, the journalist who wrote this article, was a convert to Catholicism who's married to a Jewish lady whose parents are being raised as Jews. So there's an there's an internal
1: conflict there, which I understand the psychology. Well, It's like the ideal editor of First Things, which is basically there to conflate all of these uh, conflict, uh, all of these various groups to mm-hmm. so one. This is what this is the point of conservatism conservatism is a way of uniting all of these people in some type of false unity that only exists within the editorial offices of first things. And as soon as you walk out onto the street, well it bursts like the soap bubble when it makes contact with reality. Yeah. They're promoting Judeo Christian morality, right? Judeo Christian. Yeah. That's <laughs> where that, what is that? Well, I'm not sure, but it seems to me if you look at any seminal document of the Catholic church, The Jews were on one side of the struggle and the Catholic Church was on the other side. Mm -hmm. If you look at the situation today, I think that that's pretty much the situation as it exists.
0: But the church, another piece in the March edition talks about the question, why isn't the Catholic Church, you know, interested in, in, um, you know, in conversions and proselytization anymore, proselytizing?
1: Good question.
0: uh, Good question. Because they've said that there's one route of salvation for Jews, another for for, for
1: Catholics, right? Well, the, the whole the whole thrust of Catholic Jewish dialogue uh, for the past fifty years has been to basically weaken the Catholics' position on conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, basically, if it, it keeps inching toward dual covenant theology. So that when Bob St. Genis was called on the carpet, uh, the head of Catholic Jewish Dialogue at the NCCB in Washington said, no one believes in supersessionism anymore. Well, that means that there are two covenants then. <laughs> and, and the Jew can be saved uh, by following his obsolete law, uh, the Mosaic Covenant, which disappeared when the temple disappeared. You need a temple to have the Mosaic Covenant. Needless to say, that temple disappeared in 70 AD. So you can't be saved by that covenant anymore. Okay, but why are we talking this way? Well, because we want to have some type of, it's all this this fiction of Catholic Jewish dialogue that grew up out of the, the uh, Second Vatican Council, uh, uh, specifically the, using the doctrine uh, document uh, Nostra Aetate as its justification it doesn't, yeah, it does not exist in reality it's a category of the mind that does not fit reality
0: and it's changing now because uh this, this is sort of the uh uh, <laughs> uh the uh how jews were 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 behind mass Im- immigration and uh from the third world and it was a time in the 50s and 60s when the ethnic catholics there had a lot of sympathy for the jews because of the holocaust narrative of the second world war and now these newcomers, relatively newcomers from you know from uh, South America or wherever, they have no interest in this, and they have, <laughs> they just want to make a, make a living there, and they're not they can't be guilted as easily as the
1: no is. no they, they this is again the what Hegel called the cunning of reason. Mm-hmm. So you have a situation with uh, Cardinal Spellman, who was a you know a very pro Jewish guy, and uh, according to my source, the, it was the the famous midnight flight to South America to get the U.N. votes to uh, ratify the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. And you had a basically philo-Semitic group of Catholics of European origin who understood what happened in the Second World War or were sympathetic to the Jewish plight in the Second World War. And uh, the, the, the Jews destroyed their own, their own good deal because Jacob Javits then introduces a new immigration bill in 1965 that brings in all of these third world people because the Jews wanted to dilute the European nature of American culture and they got what they wanted, but you should always be careful for what you pray for, because now you got people from Guatemala who don't know anything about what happened in world war II. And as you said, they're just struggling to make ends meet in a city which, where the wages are ferociously low and the rents are ferociously high. And all they have to go by is the Jewish landlord that's trying to move them out or cheat them out of something or other. Mm-hmm. And that's what's causing the animosity there. And you can't bl- blame white racism for that. No, you can't. No. In, in no way, shape, or form. So white racism, again, is this fiction that is created for political purposes. Now, you know, I mean, you you admit that there are people you would call women, right? Mm-hmm. So therefore, you're pro-abortion, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you admit that, the, you know, that my nose seems thinner uh, than the nose of the, the guy I know in Kenya. So therefore, well, what do you mean? Therefore, what, what therefore follows from that? That's the whole sleight of hand that we're talking about here. It's, it's the, in many ways, it's the essence of politics. You know, it is scientifically established that people from Nordic countries have thinner noses than people from Africa. That's a scientific fact. Are you going to argue with science? So therefore, well, therefore what? I mean, are people, you know, there are left handed people out there, too. The Italians refer to this as sinistra. Are you saying that left-handed people are sinister? <laughs> well, no. Are you saying the right-handed people are dexterous? Well, no, no, you you're, you're jumping to conclusions here. <clears throat> and that is the essence of what we've been talking about all night here. The sleight of hand, that uses some type of scientifically established fact, whether it's a virus or the color of your skin or whatever, as a launching pad for a whole agenda of social engineering.
0: Yes. Yeah. So, uh, well, the article is Black Frankenstein Turns on His Jewish Creators. It's in the March edition of Culture Wars. Of course, uh, Culture Wars magazine, you can go to culturewars.com and su- subscribe there. The soon to be released book is Logos Rising: A History of Ultimate Reality. Yes, if you order it it'll arrive
1: in your mailbox while you're in quarantine. While, while you're in you're, quarantine. you've got nothing else to do when you're <laughs> sick of watching Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, quarantine can be more entertaining these days because of cable TV and the internet.
1: Right? Profitable, the best thing you can do in quarantine. Buy Logos Rising. <laughs> quarantine, jeez.
0: Okay, well, Dr. Jones, I want to thank you for coming back on the show.
1: My pleasure, Tim. Always a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Stay healthy, persevere, and perhaps we'll be in touch next month if uh, we all survive it. Yes. So we'll go from there. Thank you so much, then. Good
1: night, then. You're welcome. Good night. Bye- bye-bye.